they've had many people in the past with the same job or at least similar job responsibilities. But this is the first one, if I recall correctly, with the title general manager. What did you find out when you had a chance to interview Bo? Yeah, so so part of it is, like we said, this is kind of uh, an indication of where college football is heading, and it's something that we're seeing across the country. If you just search any college football program and look at the title of somebody who was probably would have been called a recruiting director a couple years ago, I met this literally last year, someone was the recruiting director. Now we're seeing the title of general manager. So part of it is, you know, people want different titles as they move forward in their careers. And another part of it is it does reflect like the way that college football has changed because with the transfer portal with NIL, as, as we say all the time, there's more duties for someone who's a recruiting director because you literally have to recruit, re-recruit basically players who are already on your team. And that just wasn't something that we talked about in the past. The word retention was not something that we threw around in college football. And now it's almost the most important thing. I mean, we look at Memphis specifically and one of the reasons people are so excited about the Tigers next year is because of retention, because they've kept so many players. And that's something that they had to focus on in the offseason, whereas in years past, you finish your season, you, you look at where you need to plug holes, you know, who's going to leave, who's exhausted their eligibility, and then you fix that, and then you're excited for next season. Now, the season ends, and like every player could just leave. So I think that's something that, that they're focused on when I talked to Bo Davidson. He understood that, and, and I think the best answer was when I asked him what the busiest time of year is for him, and he said January to January. <laughs> so uh, I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good marker of where we are with college football, right? And it truly is the definition of a general manager as opposed to just the recruiting coordinator, as you pointed out, because you're always doing something. You're always looking at replenishing, filling holes, uh, losing players. In fact, we know that once spring ball takes place, once it's over, there's another transfer portal window in which some players who probably don't feel like they got a good enough shake in spring or maybe the writing's on the wall for the future that they want out, and then you have to fill those holes. Yep, absolutely. And then and then you got to bring people in. So that means that if you're in a recruiting department, you have to be preparing for that. So it's not like now is a... You might, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, now, you know, they can kind of relax. You know, the, the transfer portal is closed. There was a dead period for recruiting. You're just preparing for spring ball. You've got workouts and stuff. But that's, that's not the case. If you're in a recruiting department, you need to be ready to go. Then you got to get ready for, you know, scouting high school players who are doing their spring practices and getting ready to, to recruit them for, you know, for the fall and then for early signing day next December, which is crazy that we're already talking about because signing day was, what, last week? <laughs> right. So, it really never ends, and and that's part of it. But I think the general manager idea that, that kind of goes back into like you need someone who's going to be on basically the whole year, twenty four seven, because you never know when something's going to heat up. You never know when someone's going to jump in the transfer portal, and you're going to need to replace them. And so that's just where we are right now with college football, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he operates maybe differently than recruiting directors have in the past. Now, this question you may have the answer to, you may not, but I'm curious as to when a player enters the transfer portal, who are they contacting other than you know letting their coach know, but who are they contacting to tell them that they are in this portal, that they are available, and is there a, a list, I'm not talking about maybe a physical list, but something electronically that is sent out to schools so they know who's on this list, or is it all about 
making contacts like it is in recruiting? How, how do they find out about all these players, and how do these players um, indicate to whoever needs to be told that they are now available uh, and that they are leaving their particular school? Yeah, so, so the portal is literally like a, a website that, that coaches have access to, and it lists all the people who are in it. So if you want to enter the transfer portal, you contact someone at your school and you, you send them a notice that says, I want to enter the transfer portal, and then they submit your name onto this site. And so if you're looking at the transfer portal, which I don't have access to and you don't have access to, but Ryan Silverfield and coaches have access to, which, which makes sense, um, you can see everyone who's in it. Now, there's obviously a lot of names, and it's, I, I would assume it, it's pretty overwhelming if you're just kind of shopping for someone in there uh, because you're talking about people at all levels who could be in there for any number of reasons. So that's why sometimes when you see someone enter the transfer portal, you also see kind of like a social media blitz where they're trying to get their name out there because you just, you never know if you just go in the portal, especially if you're not like a high level quarterback guy. Um, if everyone is going to see that right away and be excited and then want to contact you. Mm-hmm. But once you're in the portal, then schools can contact you. Now, obviously, in this day and age, we talk about NIL, we talk about some of these things where people go in the portal and then 10 seconds later they commit to another school, um, and we can draw conclusions based on that sure. if they're really contacted when they were in the portal. But basically, yeah, once you go in the portal, um, you're on a list that is accessible by anyone um, who's a college football coach, and then they can contact you you know, for more information, if they want to refer you, stuff like that. I understand um, a lot of things have changed and a lot of things will still change with each team's roster within this conference. I know that the first initial transfer uh, portal time period, it seemed like Memphis did quite well. And it seemed like they even did well in a um, a shorter version of, of picking up players last week three or four players that they were able to get in the late signing period. You add that all up with what's coming back, and you can kind of get a gauge on how you feel Memphis will be. But what you don't know is what will happen after spring spring football, who will leave, what players they bring in, and then really the ever-changing rosters around the conference. But with your knowledge and knowing this Memphis team quite well and the conference quite well, and again, knowing that it's a ways away, where do you think Memphis will end up being in the preseason as far as the predictions for the upcoming football season? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I guess I would, my guess would be that Memphis ends up second behind Tulane. Um, and that's when you look at, you know, Memphis finished fourth in the conference last year. SMU obviously is no longer in the conference. Um, so you can cross them out. And then UCSA was ahead of Memphis. They lost Frank Harris, who's their quarterback. Um, and was really successful. They also lost a couple other players to the portal. Um, and I think it's fair to say with the players that Memphis is bringing back, you could pick them ahead of UTSA. Obviously, like you said, pending what happens in the spring, um, both in practices and then with the transfer portal. Um, Tulane, obviously a lot of differences. They lost their quarterback, they lost their coach, but they brought in coach in John Sumrall, who people are really excited about and was really successful at Troy. They brought in a lot of players in the transfer portal. And obviously there's a lot of unknowns there when you look at a quarterback who hasn't played a lot in college but has a lot of talent. Um, and I think it's it's fair just based on what that program has done in recent years, even though it was a different coach, they expect them to, to continue to play well. Now, again, there's no reason why Memphis can't be better than Tulane, can't go beat Tulane and win the conference championship. Um, I just think when you look at the, the landscape of it and people are going to respect what Tulane has done in the past couple of years, 
I feel like I'd expect Memphis to be to be picked to finish second. What do you think the biggest uh, one or two questions will be going in the spring? And I understand you've been in Grizzlies mode for a while, but uh, just off the top of your head, maybe a couple of the questions that uh, need to be answered in spring ball. Yeah, my, my number one is the offensive line um, because we talk about all the players that are coming back from Memphis, and a lot of them are at skill positions. Then obviously you bring in a, a highly talented transfer running back in Mario Anderson, who's probably going to fill the, the hole that Blake Watson leaves. But the offensive line we're talking about losing three starters. We're talking about a unit that actually played well last year. And going into last season, we were talking about questions about the offensive line. And really throughout the season, we didn't talk about it that much, which for an offensive line means that you're probably doing a pretty good job. Um, Jacob likes was a, was so important to this team, both the familiarity with Seth Hennigan and the calls, and then just the leadership being a center. So to replace him is already big. Then you're talking about, your left tackle and Mac Pounders, and then and then a guard in Davion Carter, who was really good last year. So Ryan Sofield has brought in a lot of offensive linemen in the portal, um, and I think going through spring practices, trying to figure out what that pecking order looks like, who's going to fill those positions, is really a big thing because you're talking about two returning starters, and then position battles for for three positions on the offensive line, which is is going to be a huge storyline throughout the season, um, even as we get into fall practices. You mentioned Anderson. Uh, my next guest, uh, Jay Phillips, is going to talk about him as he covers all things uh, South Carolina. But Anderson, Sutton Smith, to try to replace maybe another running back, to try to replace the Blake Watson's production. But speaking of Blake Watson, he has had a good run here in this offseason, if you will, these all-star games that have been played. And now you have Mel Kuyper talking about him being a sleeper. And there's a chance that, and I think it's a good chance now, he will get drafted. He will get drafted in the later rounds. And that would just add more fuel to the fire that Memphis is running back you uh, if he can make it to the NFL. Another guy comes from a smaller school to a Memphis program and is able to do what he did. Just It, it makes it more attractive, if it's not already attractive, to players around the country, whether they are high school players or whether they are transfer guys at the running back position that want to come because they see that connection to the NFL. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing to see how they, how he came in and then just immediately was successful right away and his productivity, which he's had basically everywhere he's gone, going back to high school. And he, yeah, he's a really good player. He was really good for Memphis. He was exactly what the Tigers needed because it's been a couple of years where people were starting to ask questions about, you know, like you said, RBU. Who's, who's going to be the next one? Um, and I think a lot of stuff that Blake Watson has done in this draft prep time has been really impressive. Obviously, for people who are Tigers fans, you know, they see some of these clips and like, well, I've, I watched him do that all year. I, I know what he could do. Um, but he's one of those guys that he's really productive, right? He can catch fast out of the backfield. He's, he's well-rounded as a player. Um, and that's to say, you know, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the strongest guy. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at measurables, you look at, one highlight play or something, you know, he doesn't have that necessarily that pop. But then you look at his stats and you look at his consistency throughout the season. I mean, he was he was exactly what Memphis needed, right? Except for the fumbling near the goal line, which is kind of a bizarre thing. Um, he was one of the most consistent players on the team. And he even helped, you know, you can look at Mario Anderson coming in and we'll see what happens with the future of running back. But he's, he's helped kind of, redo that RBU thing. And I think that helps with recruiting because you just keep pointing to him. And that's why 
Ryan Silverfield and the rest of the coaches that were so excited about what Blake is doing right now in draft prep because that, that helps you recruit. You say, look, this guy only came here for one year, and this is what he did, and we have this opportunity ready for someone, and it's going to keep being here, and you want to call up Tony Pollard, you want to call up Kenny Gainwell, you know, they've all gone through this exact same thing, and it's pretty cool to see that kind of be back on track, and then obviously you know, we'll see what happens with Mario Anderson next season. Jonah Dillon uh, joining us from the Commercial Appeal. You can follow him on Twitter at the Jonah Dillon. Uh, I, I ran into you last night at the Grizzlies game, so I, I don't think you have the answer to this yet. But I'll ask the question publicly now: Do do we know when the conference will release the schedule? We know the opponents for Memphis, but we don't know exactly uh, what dates and what time. And I don't know if they'll have the times of the games, but they'll have the dates. Do we know when that's going to happen? And also. Do we know when spring football will actually kick off? We know when the spring game is, but we don't know when the actual first practice is. Yeah, so the schedule should be out. Um, I, I would believe at the latest by the end of the month, um, and then that'll give us something to, to dig into, especially, obviously, we know the opponents. We know home and away. We just don't know the date um, for, for conference games. We know for conference games, for non-conference games already. Um, spring football, I'm not sure yet, but uh, it should be, I would guess at the end of next month, and then yeah, April twentieth is going to be that that spring game, um, and and it's going to be exciting. Like I said, all those storylines. There's a lot of when you bring in that many transfers, um, you know, spring ball is, is the time when you kind of you finally get to see these guys put pads on and see how they really compete um, against the competition that you're used to. Yeah, and so it's going to be exciting to see that. One guy who's not a transfer in Memphis has had good luck with quarterbacks because you've had. Brady White, who was a transfer but played here forever, and now Seth Hennigan coming out as a, a true freshman, starting right away, now getting ready for his fourth year. He changed his number again. What's the story behind that? Well, he changed his number every year. Right. Um, and he's done that going back to, I think, like middle school or something. So it makes it difficult for, I guess, someone out there probably has four, will have four Seth Hennigan Memphis jerseys at some point. I guess those are collector's items. Um, this is an NIL but number nine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be genius if it was. Uh, I think uh, number nine is important. If he, that's the number he wore uh, when he was a high school senior. They won the state championship um, back in Texas, and so I think that number was always important to him. And that's the number he's going to wear for his senior year. So it'll be cool to see that. Um, and yeah, he's got. I mean, it, it keeps us on our toes because you get used to seeing number two out there, and then you know next year when you're out there at practice or early games you're looking for a number and he's going to be wearing something different so uh you know it keeps us keeps us on it so i i appreciate it it keeps us on our toes right not important enough to wear his freshman year sophomore year or junior year but the state championship jersey that he wore the number at least he'll wear in his senior year all right before we let you go have you enjoyed being on the beat of uh well one of the guys on the beat from the commercial appeal, DeMichael Cole, obviously is the beat writer for the Grizzlies, and he joins us every Wednesday. But to be doing these Grizzlies games, even though the team is what it is this year with all the injuries. Yeah, it's just been a really weird season for them because, you know, there were, there were multiple points kind of in the first half of the season where it felt like things were going to turn, obviously before John Moran was lost for the season. Um, and then the injuries just keep, Stacking up, but it's hard because you get stuck in this thing where, like, we follow the team so closely and it feels like it's never ending. And you, you don't look at how injuries are affecting other teams, which they are in different degrees, obviously. The, the point where you look at the Grizzlies injury report and there's 13 players out for any given game, um, it, it's just bizarre. And 
then you're you're sitting there at the games and there's different players kind of cycling through. I think now they could put together a starting lineup with just players they've had on two way or on ten day contracts right. um, this season, which which is bizarre. And then what I found interesting in the past couple of games is like we've gotten so used to seeing guys like who are on ten day contracts or two way contracts kind of just appear for the Grizzlies and they trade for Lamar Stevens and Yuta Watanabe. And Lamar Stevens has looked really good in the past couple of games. And I think part of it is we're so used to seeing guys come in who are 10 day contract guys. And someone like Lamar Stevens comes in, he's like a legit NBA player. And the fans are watching him like, wow, this guy, he looks amazing. You know what I mean? Uh, right. But he's so only under contract for this, this season. Yeah. But he's like, he, he's on a, he's on a real NBA contract. He's like a, right. he's like a legit player. So it's, um, and obviously that gives you an opportunity if you're the Grizzlies, you know, you need to use the rest of the season to just evaluate players. That has to be part of it. So there's different levels of evaluation, right? Like one is obviously G.G. Jackson. How, how good can he be? How much can we increase his role? Even though we know all these guys are going to come back next year. And then part of it is someone like Lamar Stevens, do we want him to be on this team next year? You know, how, how, what roles can he fill when everyone comes back, when there's only this many minutes available? Um, and so it's weird to watch the games through that lens because, those things are different than going out and trying to win a game. So it's just what, what can we do and see how this player performs with these expectations or with this role off the bench as a starter. Um, but that's kind of what we're getting into for the rest of the season. And then obviously pending the returns from injury for guys like Desmond Bannon and Marcus Smart. Yeah, your compatriot over at the Commercial Appeal, Mark Giannato, and I haven't had a chance to read his story, but he says, Taylor Jenkins last night after the game, talking with the media, said the Grizzlies aren't considering shutting down players for the season yet. Mark says they should be, and it has very little to do with tanking. So I'm not sure what he's referring to. I'm not sure if it's uh, you know injuries or preventing injuries. What I don't, I don't want to speculate. I haven't read a story. But what do, you, what do you think they should do, and what do you think he will do, or at least maybe coming down from Zach Klein and the orders to uh, deal with some of these players who are ready to come back from injury? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think they're going to shut players down yet. It's obviously still early. I think those guys are still working their way back from injuries. So it, it gets gets more important when you have a more firm timeline on like, okay, Desmond Bain is a week away from coming back. What are you going to do? Whereas now, you know, they say he's going to be evaluated at some point probably in the next week or a couple of weeks. And then maybe the evaluation, okay, he needs to be out for another month or he needs to be out for more time or whatever. Um and I just think it's early to, to be doing that, especially when you look at these guys who haven't played that much this whole season. And do you really want all three or four of these players to go into next season having barely played in two years? Right. 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 Um, Marcus Smart has missed a lot of time this season. Desmond Bain played a lot early this season. He's been out. And obviously, John Morant only played nine games this season. So when we go into next season and we're talking about the expectations and everyone's going to be healthy in, in the offseason and people are getting excited then you have to caveat it with, okay, well, maybe these guys, we haven't seen them play basketball in a long time. So part of it is, like, maybe it's worth it just to, to get him to come back. And Zach Kleiman even said with Brandon Clark last week, it might be worth it if he's physically ready to come back just to get him come back just to kind of see and to say that he did it and to say that he was able to do it so he can get that confidence going into next season. Yeah. So it's complicated. Like, there's a lot of things you have to work through. Um, and it obviously just depends. Obviously, you don't want someone to come back and then reactivate an injury and it affects next season, but there's still so much time left. There's a lot to kind of get through. He is Jonah Dillon, Tigers football beat writer for the Commercial Appeal, but covers the Grizzlies and other things as well for the CA. You can follow him on Twitter 
at the Jonah Dillon. Thank you, Jonah. Appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate you. Have a good day. We will take a quick timeout. Jay Phillips on the other side. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk. Sports 56, 98.5 FM. Join the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin, for Wolo and Friends. Weekday mornings from 10 to 11, here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings. Good morning! On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 9.31 the time. Mr. Announcer Man is lying out of his teeth. No Eli Savoy. He's in Hawaii somewhere. Eating chocolate-covered macadamia nuts and... Maybe enjoying the, uh, not maybe, enjoying the scenery as he gets ready to call Ole Miss, Ole Miss games this weekend against Hawaii, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Late here because it's so early there and, you know. Uh, right here on Sports 5698.5 FM. Without further ado, our buddy Jay Phillips, the afternoon host on 107.5 The Game in Columbia, South Carolina, will join us. You can follow Jay on Twitter at jphillips one zero seven. Five. How about that poor Eli Savoy Jay out there in Hawaii suffering? You know, I, I, it, it's hard. I, I, I understand. I, I feel for him. It's a long way to go just to go do a couple of baseball games. It, uh, it does beg the question of how much sunscreen he took. Uh, and, and Greg, <laughs> uh, we, we know he's a golfer. Did he? Did he take his clubs? Do, do we know this? I don't think he did. He probably didn't because nobody else uh, in the traveling party did, and he probably felt stupid to do so or maybe yeah. felt like out of line to do it. But if there's a will, there's a way. So you can always rent them out there too, Jay. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. I was going to just like a ski slope, right? You can rent the golf clubs, but he's he's kind of a golf snob, right? He might he might need his own sticks and not want to do that. I, I don't, But I knowing him, he'd probably, uh, he'll probably rent. If necessary, let me, let me ask you real quick before we get into what you really want to talk to me about. What's the most exotic locale you've ever called a game from? Well, I called a boxing uh, card from Turks and Caicos outside oh, in Turks and Caicos. That's 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 pretty solid, Mister Gaston. Isn't that pretty cool? So yeah, we um, we did this boxing match in probably the either around nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe early twos. I can't even remember now, and. It started to rain, but it didn't rain hard. It was kind of that light um, Caribbean rain and all that. So muddling right through. They're boxing. I'm calling it. They have gigantic uh, screened uh, fences around the venue that went for, I don't know how far, probably about 80 feet in the air because they were trying to prevent the the locals from climbing the fence to get into the venue without paying and all that so it was wild but Turks and Caicos was uh, yeah a beautiful location to uh, you know there's there's like a Hall and Oates song Will Ferrell movie all thrown into that story <laughs> well we got we got a lot to talk about because we always love talking to you but there's so many connections now between Memphis and South Carolina not just like our friendship here but oh right. as you know I'm sure you've been on social media here as we all are. Um, just in the last, what, 15 minutes, Sean Elliott, the former Georgia State head coach, is stepping down 
now the former Georgia State head coach, to become the tight ends coach at South Carolina. That all of a sudden is starting to become a weird trend with head coaches. How about Chip Kelly stepping down as a head coach at UCLA to become an OC at Ohio State? Well, here you have a head coach at Georgia State, not as prolific, obviously, as UCLA, but steps down to become a position coach at South Carolina. Yeah, I, and I, the, the Chip Kelly one, I think you, you kind of hit it. It's a little different. I mean, that's that's leaving the, the head coaching job at UCLA as they move into the Big Ten, but it's pretty obvious they didn't want each other, so I guess there's that. But in terms of these guys leaving South Alabama, Georgia State, Buffalo, Kent, places like that as head coaches to become coordinators at, at the at the P5 level, it, it starts to make sense. And, you know, uh I think, I think things are changing in, in that realm. Um, I think the school you guys cover most, Memphis, is going to be one that, that finds its way into something bigger here soon as we see, you know, maybe not realignment, but sort of this next round of changes of schools that, that can versus schools that either can't or, or won't. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm certain that Memphis is a school that can and will when it comes to spending money. Um, so, you know, I think, you, you know, you look at jobs like that, Greg, and I just think, guys, you kind of alluded to it, man. It, it's, it's, a, it's a more stable gig. I'm going to make a lot of money anyway. And if I do the things I want to do, I'll get a head coaching job at the top level. I think that's what a lot of those guys might be looking at. I, I think you hit it on the head. There's also something we can go one step further in the situation with Nick Saban. Now, he didn't say it, but in this day and age of NIL, the NIL, even the portal, but more so the NIL and just all the different things that coaches have to deal with after years of not having to do so, may have expediated his retirement. And I think we're seeing that as well because coaches don't want to deal with that. I agree. And I think of a guy like Sean Elliott, who you just mentioned, and, and I've known Sean a long time. You know, He was here on staff with Coach Furrier for, for many, many years before he took that head coaching job over in Atlanta at, uh, at Georgia State. And he's a hell of a recruiter, Greg. And, you know, in fact, one of his best guys, a guy named Jordan Strawn, just leaving the Gamecock football team, he transferred to South Carolina for a couple of years as an edge rusher. Um, you know, and, and I think you're going to see more and more of that as well in the transfer portal as these coaches work hard to recruit guys that maybe fell through the cracks out of high school, develop them into quality players, only to lose them. And that's all. There's a, there's a ripple effect across the board. I mean, South Carolina – Lost a kid named Jordan Birch, who's from right here in Columbia, to Oregon a couple of years ago. Same kind of thing. Um, so I realize it's all sort of relative, but yeah, I, I think all the things you look at, plus the fact that you you see now with say this SEC Big Ten announcement last week, uh, you see the biggest schools now actively and publicly wanting to separate themselves from schools that don't have big budgets and basically say we're tired of being held back Mm -hmm. um i I just i think i I just think that's the reality we're now in and for a long time the ncaa membership voted things down because most schools couldn't afford it now i I always joke you know the rule was you can serve bagels but not cream cheese why (laughs) because some schools can't afford the cream cheese all right well you know, if I can afford both, I'm going to do both, and that's what that I think that's what the biggest the biggest schools are now saying. I want some damn cream cheese on my bagels. Yeah, I have no, to I'm have. Here. It. I, I won't bore you with the story right now, but South Carolina swim team. Uh, I, I'm friends with their their former coach. About about ten twelve years ago, they had to report a secondary because they served cream cheese with bagels during an interim at a big meet, and they 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 had to self report seriously. <laughs> 
Now there's, now there's guys driving around in Lamborghinis from their NIL money. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Let's get to our connections because they're – and it's not just John ja Moran, obviously, with the connection of being from South Carolina. Let's start with the football connection and Mario Anderson. Mario Anderson with the Gamecocks transfers in the portal to Memphis. He will now be called upon as being – uh, he, along with a couple of other guys that will have to fill the void for from Blake Watson's departure, who will more than likely be drafted late in the NFL draft. What can you tell us about Mario Anderson? I, I like Mario a lot, and let me be honest with you, I, I, this surprised me when he went into the portal. Uh, it, it really, really did, because he was going to be, in most people's opinions, and in some of those that I spoke with around the program, the, you know, the number one tailback at South Carolina. I think some of this is definitely NIL related. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. Um, you know, the fact is he's, he's from here, uh, not from Columbia, but from South Carolina, played his D2 ball about 45 minutes from here up at Newberry, was an All-American there. And, and Greg, last year, he was good. He, he was, he, you know, to, to have come into this level for the first time, um, SEC level I'm talking about, Mm-hmm. He, had a, he had a really nice year. He, he can be a guy who's what I like to call for running backs. I'm sure you do, too, a home run threat. He can pop off some big runs. He's a big kid. can catch a little bit out of the backfield. Knows how to block. Uh, Memphis is getting a very good running back, and I, I think that's what surprised a lot of people. Now, South Carolina added Rocket Sanders to replace him from over in Arkansas and got a kid from North Texas and a transfer from South Carolina State. So they filled the void here with the Gamecocks, but I still think a lot of people – um, are going to miss Mario. I, I, he, he's a he's a good he's a good running back, and I think he's got a potential not to be some superstar at the next level, but a guy who might be able to hang around. He he knows what he's doing. I think I think the Tigers got a good one. It, it's interesting because, as you said, Rocket Sanders not too shabby to have him guy for excuse me to have that guy take over. You mentioned a couple of others, so obviously to get those guys, they have nil money. We know South Carolina's much more abundancy of, of NIL money than Memphis, but you had mentioned NIL. So I wonder if it was because their dispersal of NIL money over all these players of significance at South Carolina that they kind of ran out or ran low, because I know that Memphis doesn't have money falling out of their pockets as far as NIL money, especially with football, to be able to get him. And then I was going to say, well, if it's not that, then – then maybe it's a, a lack of playing time. He was on the outskis, but you're telling me the guy was probably going to be the number one running back. This this is a coup. yeah. Look, they they were going to definitely add bodies to the running back room because they had to. Uh, I mean, it's just it was getting thin. Um, so that's just that's that's natural at that position, obviously, especially these days where you don't have that that you know the you know when you were when you and I were coming up, you know Earl Campbell, George Rogers, Herschel mm-hmm. Walker, Bo Jackson. You don't have those guys anymore, really, in college. You you got to split time. Um, you know, I've I've heard a little bit about this, and maybe whatever the number was that Mario and his family wanted relative to what Shane Beamer or or the NIL collectives. You know, I guess because schools can't really do it, but you, you know what I mean, how yeah. it works. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that maybe Carolina sort of had a a budget. And the number was the number, and it was better than the number when he came in. Remember, this was a guy who only played here one year, and he came from D2, uh, and, and maybe that was the rub. Uh, you know, we may never know those things, or we may learn those things once, you know, once Mario's done with all of his college time. Um, so it's probably – there's some mixture of, of that when it comes to NIL. But there's no doubt that if he had remained here in Columbia, he was going to see significant time. I mean, I think he had about 150 carries last year. 
I, I can certainly see the workload being the same or better for him in terms of production. Well, if he lives up to expectations, that's, that is a major coup for Memphis. Jay Phillips is joining us from 107 The Game in Columbia, South Carolina. You can follow Jay on Twitter at jphillips1075. Gigi Jackson is taking this area by storm. With the Grizzlies and all the injuries, they're a walking mash unit. You had a guy like a now 19-year-old barely player who was a two-way guy taken in the second round out of South Carolina after one season, not expected to see much action with the big team, if you will, thrust into action because of all these injuries, now gets a multi-year deal because of it. Last night he goes for another 20 points and nine rebounds. He's been pretty much steady sensational. And I mean that because he's not had a lot of uh, drops. He's been pretty consistent, but on the sensational side. You don't see rookies, especially second-round guys, Jay, doing what he's doing. Did you see that potential in the short time he played for the Gamecocks? I wouldn't tell you that I saw what he's doing happening now, uh, and I don't know that any of us did. Certainly, being from Columbia, we've known of his prowess for for many years. And really, he, remember, he wasn't expected to be a, a, a South Carolina player. He he was going to go to North Carolina, but then he wanted to reclassify, and the Tar Heels didn't have room for him. Gamecocks did with new, new coach Lamont Paris last year. Um, so no. To answer your question, did I see this? I, I, ultimately, yeah, but maybe a couple of years down the road. And and as you pointed out too, Greg, um, a lot of us are are you know a product of our circumstances. Mm-hmm. And and with Memphis not having guys in front of him right now, he's able to shine, which I think is fantastic. Um, and ultimately lets him blend back into what's a pretty strong lineup when it's healthy. So I think it's great for him, but. Yeah, there were flashes of it last year, but there were also flashes, as uh, were very publicly documented, of, of his of his off court immaturity. But that's mm-hmm. going to happen when you're young, and and a lot of people around you tell you how great you are. But there was a little come to Jesus at some point last year with him, Lamont, and a few others, and and the rest of the season played out pretty well and got back on track. And and here he is. So I think it's a great story, but. Uh, if you had said to me a year ago, hey, you think Gigi's going to get a four-year contract and start scoring about 20 points a night in the NBA? I'd have said, what are you on? Well, he was, he was suspended for their last game, although Coach Taylor Jenkins said it wasn't anything too serious. He was back in the lineup last night scoring the 20 points. But I think, and I don't know this for sure, it was more like a punctuality thing. But hopefully, yeah. you know, again, he's, 19, he's the youngest player, Jay, in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, that's crazy. He's, he's just he's filled with 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 God given ability, and, and he will harness that talent. And, and like I say, there were flashes of things like that uh, around here last year. I, I'll be honest, though, Greg, if I look at what he's doing now, and I look at what South Carolina is doing now, and I could I could say, could you put it back on that South Carolina team that's doing you know, despite last night, which right. was an anomaly. Right. I, I will tell you that was an anomaly. Uh, losing to Auburn's one thing, losing by 40, uh, you know, that wouldn't happen every night. But, boy, if he was still playing in South Carolina and everything else were equal, woo, that'd be a team. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder. I, I, you would think so, but could that be messing the chemistry that the team has this year without him? There's always, you know, two ways to look at things. Sure. But sure. You're, right, you're right about I mean, Lamont Paris and what they've done with the Gamecocks this year, they've been one of the great stories in college basketball. But as you said, an anomaly last night. Man, oh man, did Bruce Pearl put a whooping on him. You don't see that too often, a 40-point loss at two teams ranked 13th and 11th, respectively. 
And uh, I, I, Auburn, we knew, was going to come in hacked off after their very bad performance against Florida. And Carolina had won seven straight and was feeling good about themselves, especially defensively. And Bruce is such an excellent coach. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people give him grief for a variety of things through his career, but uh, all, all the dude does is win and get players to, to play how he wants them to play when they're at their best. And uh, it's just a bad night for the Gamecocks. Plus, you know, the, 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 the stories about Lamont Paris potentially being a high-level candidate for the Ohio State job, you know, how much does that creep in? You guys remember over your way a couple years ago with Ole Miss football when, when they were rolling right along, and then, oh, is Lane going to Auburn? And mm-hmm. it felt like the team kind of went in the tank for a couple of weeks before all that got settled. And I'm not saying that's happening here or happened last night, but uh, you, you do have to pose that as a as a question to to where mindset could be from time to time. But... Now, Auburn's very good. I think I think the Gamecocks get back on track, and they're they're, they're already vastly overachieving. I'm not saying don't lose the you know don't lose the LSU on Saturday. Let's put it that way. But they've uh, they're they're strong. But I'm happy for Gigi. It's been a it's been a great story for him. Well, my friend, let's do this again uh, soon. I always appreciate you. Is, uh, is is Eli at least bringing back souvenirs for you and the staff? I mean, how's that work? I asked him to bring back some of those. He loves those chocolate macadamia nuts. Will you bring some back? And, you know, he kind of looked at me, so I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. We'll see. Yeah, well, maybe so. We'll see. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Jay Phillips joining us from Columbia, South Carolina. Again, those connections. Didn't even talk about John Moran, obviously a South Carolinian. Folks. If you're looking for a beautiful drive, I mean a beautiful drive in a beautiful vehicle, you need to head down to All-Star Chevrolet and Olive Branch. If you're ready to drive that new Silverado, All-Star Chevy in Olive Branch has financing down to 2.9 for 72 months. That's 2.9 for 72 months. Up to 5000 in cash. Plus, you make no payments for 90 days because your good credit deserves it. It's still love month, February, Valentine's Day yesterday. And we're loving all these new Silverados, the Equinox, the Trailblazers, the Tahoes. You're going to love seeing this all-star lot and showroom loaded up again with terrific vehicles. If you want pre-owned, everything you want is here. Ram trucks, Jeeps, Nissan Rogues, uh, the Traverse with third-row seating so you can do more together as a family. Military teachers, college students, and healthcare workers, listen up. You get an extra $500 bonus when you purchase a vehicle from All-Star Chevrolet in Olive Branch. They have everything you're looking for, and if it's not there, just ask Kevin or Jeff, and they'll find it for you. That's a guarantee. Remember, it's not South Haven, not Mount Moriah, not Bartlett, not Collierville. It's got to be Olive Branch. Come out to All-Star Chevy in Olive Branch today or go to allstarautogroup.com. We are coming back to wrap it up here on Sports 56 Mornings in a moment, right here on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Broadcasting from the Family Leisure Studio, we are Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings. Good morning. On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everybody. 9.53, final segment. As soon as we wrap things up, get ready, because Dave Woloshin with Wolo and Friends on Sports 56 will be coming your way from Denton, Texas. That's the site tonight for the Tigers and the North Texas Mean Green. The Tigers coming in as a a one-and-a-half-point underdog. Wow. 
Who would have ever thought that before the season started, that Memphis would be an underdog to North Texas? North Texas is not a bad team by any stretch. They're 13-10, but they're not a great team. They're 6-5 and five in conference play. They're missing some key players tonight. They are 361 out of 362 in Division One with teams um, in adjusted tempo. So they play at a slow pace. I'm sure Memphis will want to speed them up. First time the Tigers will face a top 100 opponent in more than a month. Memphis has to win. They'll play SMU on Sunday. I think SMU will be the tougher game. I think they win tonight. I, I don't. You're getting a point and a half. Again, I don't bet Memphis sports teams, but <laughs> man, I, I think this is a good one. They're on a three-game winning streak. I think this is a good one to play if you're playing Memphis. Sunday, yeah, different story. I, I think it's going to be tough to beat SMU down there. I really, really do. Uh, we'll see what Penny does with the rotation. I think Jalen Young is back. Um, Andy Borman was talking to us on Wednesday about that. He wasn't 100% sure. You know, a backup point guard to give Javon Quinterly a little bit of rest. But the Tigers with a huge one tonight. ESPN Plus is the only place you can watch it. Or you can listen to it, of course, with Dave Ocean on their station. Um, but 7 p.m. is when they will tip tonight. Memphis versus North Texas. Oh, by the way, with the Genesis Invitational now open for business, round number one, Tiger Woods will go off at 11.25, I believe at Central Time, 11.25 this morning. It'll be Tiger Woods' first PGA Tour event of the season. Now, he has played in the Hero World Challenge back in December and then played in that father-son event, the PNC Championship, with his son, Charlie. But his first actual event is... He will be playing in a trio that includes Gary Woodland and Justin Thomas. Again, 11-25 for Tiger Woods. Again, it's going to be weird. No more Nike. Now that Sunday Red, three different words, the new apparel company with Tiger Woods now connected to that as their guy, their face, their name, which is all part of the TaylorMade brand. Grizzlies in action tonight. They will take on the Milwaukee Bucks. I've not seen the injury report. I assume that Giannis is a go because it would be weird if all of a sudden Giannis is on the injury list, doesn't play tonight, and he's playing in the All-Star game. Unless, of course, he comes down with some kind of, you know, he comes down with some kind of uh, stomach thing or whatever, which is a bunch of BS. They come to town one time. The Bucks do. You got a superstar on that team. That's when you crack down if you're Adam Silver, something like that. It's like, come on, you got Ajita, get the hell out of here. Get in uniform, get on the court, and play tonight as Memphis will try to upset the Bucs. Doc Rivers coaching the Bucs, and uh, he struggled a little bit since he took over. Grizzlies looking for two in a row tonight after the win over the Rockets last night. We want to thank Parker, uh, Parker Fleming for joining us on the program today. Parth Upajai as well, Colin Cody, Jonah Dillon, and Jay Phillips. Tomorrow, final show of the week, John Varlis will join us as he does every Friday in studio. We're talking with Joe Theismann. Matt Dillon will join us for the Tiger Basketball Report. Brandon Lang will wrap up the football season, talk some Super Bowl with us. And then 10 in a row, the game show that has swept the nation. It's all coming up tomorrow right here on Sports 56 Mornings. It's Rolo and Friends on Sports 56 live from Denton, Texas. That is coming up next. For Eli Savoy, who's out in Hawaii. For Zach Boyd, I'm Greg Gaston. Have a great day, everybody.